here's what we're going to do tonight. The topic that we gave at APU is the end of Global Vision Week. It's a week in which the entire campus focuses on missions, and I want to kind of use that. Around the world, there's lots going on. Christians eventually get the call one way or another. If you've never been on a short-term mission and you're in this room, you should consider a short-term mission trip. I remember sitting in a sanctuary some here some years ago and they said, you should go on a short-term mission. And I was like, ah, oh, right. But the guy who was speaking kept saying something over and over. He said, it will change your life. Just trust me, it will change your life. And I decided that it was time for me to step out of my comfort zone and go on a short-term mission. It did, it totally changed my life. And it showed me a different vision of the world. Um, even though I had traveled the world extensively, I was now traveling the world as an ambassador for Christ, and it changed my heart completely about missions. So Christians get the call. We see something that's going on. In this group, we've been studying the invisible children, and we feel compassion. We feel like we need to do something. Here's what I think Christians tend to do. We do what I call cookies and car washes. Our first instinct anytime we hear of a need in the world as Christians is to put on a fundraiser. It's, uh, it's our first instinct is to say, Hey, there's something going on in the world. Maybe we should have a fundraiser. Maybe we should have a charity concert. Maybe we should have a car wash. Maybe we should bake cookies. Maybe we should sell something. Maybe you could just sit on a lot somewhere and sell donuts all day long and maybe somebody will, you know, you'll get five bucks out of it by the end of the day. Cookies and car washes. Here's my critique of that. There's nothing wrong with being moved by God to do something for him, even in a way of a fundraiser. But the problem with a fundraiser is it looks outside of us to someone else to give us money for our cause, when really what we should probably be doing, and I've been preaching this throughout this whole series, is maybe figure out a way to get our own finances in order so we can do what the Bible commands us to do with our money. Reach into our own pockets and actually do it that way, rather than always looking to figure out a way to raise funds. You guys know we've been talking about this at length. What's the biblical view of money and the relationship to our work in the kingdom? We started the first day in our intro with the parable of the talents, reminding us that even though some people want to make the parable of the talents about how you play the trumpet for God or whatever it is, or some talent you have, really the parable of the talents is about money. It's a parable about money. And Christ wants to come back at the end of the age and say, what did you do with the money that I gave you? And if we're good at what we've done and we've invested it the way you're going to see in a few minutes, then maybe you'll get to hear the words, good and faithful servant. If you're like the one guy who held on to the money and buried it and didn't even make interest on it because he was worried about what to do with it or didn't do anything, then you're probably going to hear you're a lazy and slothful servant. And in parable land, the worst place you could ever be sent is the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's where that servant gets sent. Not a good place to be in parable land. But the real question is, are we going to look to the outside for fundraisers, or are we going to actually get our house in order to answer God's call? Whatever it may be. Maybe invisible children doesn't touch you. Maybe it's the plight of somebody in a Muslim country. Maybe it's people who haven't heard about Christ. Maybe it's somebody in your own backyard who doesn't know about Jesus. All of these things take funding from ministries to do it. The other thing that I hear on campuses a lot when I talk to students is they're waiting for God to provide. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying that God is a provider. He is the provider. We are not the providers. But I hear students sometimes say, you know what, I want to do such and such, or I want to do so and so, and I think, well, how are you going to do that? How is it that you're going to raise the funds to do what you're thinking about doing? And I know their answer inside. Even though they don't have to say it, their answer is, well, God will provide. There's nothing wrong with that statement, but it does miss one important point. Maybe God has already provided. They presume that God will provide more. And I'm not saying he's not a provider, and I'm not saying he won't surprise all of us. But if you look around at what all of us have in this country, 
I'd say God's provided quite a bit. And maybe he's waiting for us to use what he's already provided for us to make more. Next slide. Look at the very bottom of the screen. The average Christian is giving away $25 a year to missions. That's it, 25 bucks. And we want to take the Great Commission to the ends of the earth on 25 bucks. That's not very far. That'll probably get you to downtown and gas these days. So when we talk about giving a million dollars to missions on $3 a day, where is that statistic coming from? Okay, and it's becoming something of a buzzword that I'm trying to develop. A million dollars for missions over a lifetime on just $3 a day. You know, people travel Europe. You have those books like Travel Europe on $2 a day. Can we send God's people to the ends of the earth on $3 a day? Is it possible? Here's how. Simple statistic and future value calculation. $3 a day on average is going to come out to $91 a month. You invest it like we talked about on a compounded interest for 40 years, you're going to end up with a million bucks. Okay, that's how you do it. Now, tonight we're going to do like a little mini review of how you get the extra money. Because I know that everyone's thinking the same thing. We'd say this week after week, where am I going to get the extra money? And I'm going to show you the three different places you can get it. Any questions on this slide, by the way? Do you guys understand the simple future value calculation? Churches actually should follow the same diet we're about to prescribe, the same four steps, which is you're going to see. Let me press forward on this. Okay, next slide. Here's the excuses. I don't have $91 a month. I'm barely making it as it is. I'm living a student lifestyle. Whatever the excuses. When I was at APU, one of the uh, people in one of the classes I was speaking to raised their hand and they said, rather than looking for all these different ways to find $100, which we're gonna go through the steps in a second, couldn't you just work and make that extra $100 and put it away? And I was like, yeah, I mean, the question was so simple, I actually didn't understand it the first time. She's like, couldn't you just work? I'm like, sure, I guess. What's the question? You know, like, uh, that was obvious. But I guess what I didn't realize was most people sitting in college believe that as soon as they graduate, they're going to make money. And they're going to make so much money that they're going to have extra money to save. And the, and the truth about us as human beings, and if you don't know this right now, you should know this, but if you don't know it right now, we're going to spend every dime we have. That's just how greedy and sinful and materialistic we are in this country. Like, but people in college think, well, today I'm in debt and I don't have a job, but when I graduate and get my diploma, I'm gonna get a job that pays 40 grand a year and then I'm gonna have so much money because right now I live on like seven grand, I'll have like 33 extra thousand dollars. <laughs> and the reality is it doesn't matter if they gave you a million dollars a year, you'd find a way to spend it. And that's the sad truth about us. So, the fact that we say these things when we're in this position, hey, I'm broke now, I'm a student, I'm this, you could say anything you want. We still have to look for the money because it's not gonna come naturally. No matter how much you make, you're still gonna spend it. That's why the following four steps are gonna help you find the $100 a month. Step one, we've talked about this one briefly and we started talking about it last week. So let's introduce it one more time. Step one in finding the magic dollars is to save and save first. Okay, the biblical wisdom behind it is from Proverbs. Solomon himself says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food, but the foolish man devours all he has. The foolish man devours all he has. I would submit to you that America is the foolish man. We learn to devour everything we have. This is not about food and gluttony. This is actually a parable really that, or a proverb about money and provision. We 
spend everything we have. Here's some more about savings, which we also looked at. The parable of Joseph, or actually the dream that Joseph interprets. Remember, is a dream where Pharaoh's having dreams about skinny cows eating fat cows, and he's stressed out, and he doesn't understand it, and Joseph interprets it and says, this is the meaning of your dream. You will have seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. Save during the abundance so you can feed the people during the famine. What's the biblical principle that God gives to Pharaoh? Save during the abundance. We contrasted that with the biblical warning against hoarding, which if you go to the next slide, hoarding means keeping and building storehouses and not giving. Okay, Hoarding basically is the parable of the rich man who kept building bigger and bigger storehouses to store his grain and says, now I could be at rest. Now I can sit back and enjoy life because I have so much in my storehouses. Notice that Joseph is allowed to tell Pharaoh to build storehouses of grain and build as many as he can, but that's because he's going to give it away to feed the people. This man says, I'm going to build storehouses and sit on them. That's not saving, that's hoarding. And Jesus in the parable says, this is what God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? The key is the last line. So it is with the man who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. That's the key that we've got to always watch because Paul warns us about the evils of money and how it tempts us. Jesus warns us about how money can tempt us. And this talk is about savings and investment. And you can see the millions that I'm about to show you how you can make for the kingdom, but it can tempt us to want to just make millions for ourselves. And the key to the difference between savings and hoarding is to be rich towards God and to give it away. The guy who kept building up the bigger barns, he basically died that night because of it. Next slide. You guys know the problem of savings in America. Each person in America has three months in the bank before they go bust. That's the average. There's 60 million Americans that don't have any savings at all. Zero. They'd be out on the street if something happened. And then we have people, we talked about how we are going to spend all the time, that we devour all that we have, that no matter how much money you make, you're going to spend it. There it is. The average American spends 5% more than they earn, ending up with an average of $8,400 in credit card costs. Okay. Dan Bach, who wrote the, the Automatic Millionaire, created the Latte Factor. The Latte Factor is a very simple thing. It just basically says this, somewhere in your spending habits, it doesn't have to be a latte, but somewhere in your spending habits, you waste three to $5 a day guaranteed. There's something in your life you can cut. Now, I'm sure there are people who are exceptions, but most of us, if we listed everything we spent for an entire week and went through that list, we would find every day there's about three to five bucks, minimum three to five bucks that we could cut. Now, a lot of people are skeptical about it, and the, and the challenge is this. Take a week and write down everything you spend every single day and look at that week and think, I could have at least saved five bucks a day or three bucks a day, whatever it is. And a lot of people, the latte factor is in response to this. Same excuse. I can't cut anywhere. I don't know what else I can cut. And there's always something that we give ourselves to go, oh, well, but no, I can't cut that. And that's the thing is, if we really wanted to save, we could cut it. All right, here's how it would multiply out. Go to the next slide. You guys saw this statistic. If we just let the $5 a day that we saved by avoiding Starbucks or whatever it is that's your evil, you would save up a lot of money over a lifetime. On just $5 a day, it's a huge amount of money that we would save if we actually invested that money for the kingdom. 
If you have a good paying job and you can go to 10 bucks, go to the next slide. This is what the numbers would look like. Look at how they move dramatically if you just save 10 bucks a day. Now, I know if I put a gun to your heads, you'd find me 10 bucks a day somewhere. Uh, maybe you'd work for it. But I know that if I put a gun to your head, you'd find me 10 bucks a day. You know, it's amazing what people will do when they're really under pressure. If you have a decent paying job, like a really good paying job, maybe you could afford to do 20 bucks a day. Check this out. At $5 a day, you start in year one, at year, you know, by the t in year one, you're only going to make about 1800 bucks. But if you leave it in a 10% look by year 40, you've made $948,000. That's close to the million that we're looking for in our title. The next slide on, on the $10, we're going from $3,700 you would have saved in year one, but look at the compounding effects by 40 years. It's like almost $1.9 million. Okay, and on the $20 factor test, if you get to year 40, it's gonna be like three point something million. Go to the next slide, Anthony. All right, $3.8 million pretty much at year 40 on $20 a day. Now, you gotta leave it in there. You can't touch it. So we're gonna come back to talking about that one more time. But remember the first step is look for something to save, even if it's three bucks a day, okay? Step two. Step two is invest and invest now. The examples I just gave you about 40 years on $5, $10, and $20 a day can be further enhanced if you learn to invest now and not wait, all right? These are the examples that we used last week. I just want to look at them because I want to make sure you understand these examples because this is the last time I'll ever mention them probably, and you're going to be really sorry when you're my age and you missed out on this. I'm 36. Last week, we looked at Kim, who has... $3,000 a year is what she decides she's gonna save at 27. Why did she wait till she was 27? Because like most of us, she thought, you know what, I'm a student, I can't do anything right now, but when I get a good paying job, I'll start to lay money aside. So at age 27, she starts diligently laying aside 3,000 bucks a year and does it every year until she's 65. So really, if you multiply that out, she's invested 114,000 and she gets a phenomenal return of $1.3 million at age 65, okay? Look at that, she started at 27, pretty young by most of our standards, all right? Here's Jennifer, she can't wait. She takes on a part-time job while in college. She begins investing right away. And at age 18, she's pouring, putting aside $3,000 and she stops at 26. So she's only put in $24,000. That's all she's put in, total amount, 24,000 bucks. And at age 65, $1.5 million. That's why when I tell you, and I'll tell everybody else, if you could start early, you are so ahead of the game. You are so ahead of the game in ways where the time value works in your way that you could do this for a few years and then let it sit and just let it grow. And you know that upon retirement or upon any time you feel like it when it's but 30, 40 years down the road, you've got enough money to do anything you want to for the kingdom of God. You have such an amazing ability to make an impact more than any cookies or car washes could have ever done in a lifetime just through simple money management. So you start by the do's and the don'ts of this kind of investing. First, you gotta take it off the top. When I say save first, what I mean by that is you gotta take it off the top and don't wait till the end of the month to think that you'll have some money left. If your goal is to save $91 a month, to follow the program, great. When you get your paycheck, take $91 a month and 25 cents and move it into the account. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. In fact, if you can, follow step two. Make it automatic. Just have an automatic withdrawal that just goes into whatever investment you have. You'll live on the rest. If you expect to get your whole paycheck and live on that, you're not going to. You're going to spend it all. 
and then there'll be no $91 left at the end of the month. Make the $91 like it was the biggest bill you had. Take it right off the top automatically. Don't look at it, just let it grow. That's how you do it and then start early. We're gonna talk about budgeting in a second, which we've done before, but don't count on budgeting. It's not gonna help you. Budgeting is good to figure out what you're spending and where you should cut. It's not gonna help you save. The only thing that's gonna help you save is to take it right off the top and make it automatic. Next slide. We're gonna look at the next step, which is you guys, we've already gone through a whole talk on debt. We're not gonna repeat it, okay? But we are gonna remind you of a couple verses and the most important one, I think, Paul reminding us that you were bought at a price, Jesus paid for you. He says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Each man is responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him. If you're a free person, remain free. Free to do what? Free to go to India if he calls you to go to India and not say, but I can't go to India. I'm so in debt, I couldn't leave right now. He wants us to be free and not in bondage where we could say, you know what, I need you to go. Maybe it's not India, maybe it's Pomona, I don't care. Wherever he calls you to move. If you're saying, you know what, I'd love to go work at that school, but I need a high paying job because I have a lot of debt, then you're not following what God wants you to do. Now, how often does God come knocking and say, hey, get up, move over here? I don't know, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't happen very often in our lives. But the point is we should be free enough that if it happened, we don't say, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I kind of screwed that up because I'm really in debt right now, Lord, and I can't do it. Maybe the call will come because you'll see something that will move you and you realize, hey, you know what? I really should be doing something with my life, but I'm in debt right now. It's just wishful thinking. You remember we, uh, we talked about how James is very clear in this warning to us that we should not presume upon tomorrow. That's what debt does. Debt is nothing more than us saying, hey, tomorrow I'm going to make enough money to pay today's debt. That's why that girl's questioned it. I, I didn't even understand it the first time she asked it. Because what she was thinking is, here I am sitting in college, I have student loans, and I don't know where I'm going to get money. But tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to have a huge paycheck. It'll just pay it all off. When I was in law school, I met the devil himself. His name was Greg. And Greg came up to me and said, Johnny, you're, you're like the top of the class. You're doing so well in school. You're going to make so much money when you get out of school. You know, you shouldn't live like a pauper. I mean, you really, you really should be like taking care of yourself more like, and I said, well, what are you doing? <laughs> that was like the dumbest question. Well, what are you doing? Because he was a really smart guy too. And he said, I'm maxing out one credit card a year. Because I figure like first year, our salaries will be so big at those big law firms, we'll like pay it off like within the first month. Where is he now? <laughs> He's at some big New York law firm probably working his butt off paying off his credit card bills. I have no idea. But I mean, I, you know, what was, what was crazy is I'm not even sure he followed his own advice. But the crazier part is I followed his advice. I started thinking, yeah. And I actually did max out one credit card. I, that was my allowance because, you know, I'm doing really well and I'm going to get scholarships and I'm going to be doing really well and I'll just pay off all these credit cards really fast. It took me 12 years, <laughs> 12 years to pay them off. James almost talks right to that girl that was in that classroom and talks directly to me and every one of us who believes that we'll have money tomorrow to pay off our debt. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. You do not even know what will happen. And James goes on to say, your life is like a mist. You can't predict what's going to happen. We should just say that if it's the Lord's will, then it'll be okay. All right, next slide. When you guys are asking me about where we get the money, remember when we talked about our talk on debt, we used this example about the $5,000. And there's a reason I used it. That's the average that a student's in debt in college. And the average that they spend trying to get out of debt is 100 bucks a month. So they spend like seven years trying to get out of debt. 
and end up paying all this extra interest. And we talked about how you can get out of debt by paying faster. Just by increasing to $2 or $200 a month, you'd get out of debt in like two years and something. But notice that I'm trying to look for the extra $100 somewhere and it's right there in the example. If you got out of debt on your credit cards, that $100 that you were gonna pay for seven years on your credit cards is the $100 you would now be investing for the kingdom. So just, if you just got rid of your credit card debt, you'd have enough money to invest in the kingdom on this long-term savings plan. And finally, you're gonna do what you can to make extra principal payments. That's the example of the mortgage house that we talked about. Okay, so again, we're looking for extra money. Go to the next slide. Here's the extra money in the mortgage example that we gave, that if you could just pay off your house faster, all the money that's going into your mortgage would be money that you could be throwing into something like giving. Now, you don't have to throw in the whole amount, but say in this example, you learned how to get out of debt faster. Remember, we used the example of if you just paid an extra $300 a month, you'd pay off your house in 23 years instead of 30 years, okay? When the 23 years is up, now you have a choice. You were paying $3,000 a month for 23 years. You could take that $3,000 a month and start giving it. You might just give $300 a month at that point. It doesn't matter. The point is, you freed up so much money that you had to give the year before that now you have a choice of how much you want to keep investing. That's why people strive to pay off their homes as quickly as possible who are trying to go out on the mission field. If you could pay off your home by the time you're 55, you're now free to travel around the world. Lena and I were on a mission trip with a couple that's doing that. They paid off their house completely. They're out just traveling around now, traveling around the country, but they have the freedom to go anywhere they want, including on mission trips, because they don't own any debt whatsoever. Their house is completely paid off, and all the money that would normally go into a mortgage, they actually look for people to give it to. You know what the funny thing is? You could use all these principles for yourself. You don't have to use them for the kingdom. In fact, all these principles were not invented solely from biblical wisdom. There's plenty of financial planners out there that will just tell you the time value of money is a powerful thing. You should use it for retirement. You should use it for personal savings. And you should, by the way, you should just pay off your house so you can just go buy a bigger one. You know what I mean? They'll tell you that you could do all these things. You know, these are not like the Bible invented how to pay off your mortgage faster. That's, that's just common financial planning. But the Bible does have a lot of, you know, words of wisdom about getting out of debt and all those things. So you could be selfish. In fact, I'd almost rather you were selfish than just be enslaved to the credit card companies. But since it's available to us as Christians, I think we should use it in multiple ways. Yes, you can have a savings account for the kingdom. Yes, you could have your own savings account. And yes, you could have a retirement account. And yes, you could pay off your house faster, even if you don't plan on going on a mission trip, just because it's wiser. And then you could give that money to the homeless or the poor, or you could give it to your grandchildren. Who cares? Because those are still better than living in the American way, which is to be living in total debt and giving the money to the bank, who's making all the money off of you. But we always want everything today, now. Consumerism drives us into debt, and that's what we have to be careful against. I mean, he tells us clearly, you can only be a servant of one thing, me or money, and if you're in debt to money, you're spending your whole life trying to get out of that debt and paying back that bondage that you're in, you can't really serve me. And that's a sin. I mean, it's not the kind of sin that you normally think about, but it's clearly a sin not to be free to serve the Lord in the way he wants us to. It's not his plan for you is to be in bondage. His plan for you is to be free. So when he says, go to the ends of the earth or go to the ends of the parking lot, whoever's out there, whatever it is, you, you are free to do it. I think it's a sin to buy something that costs 5,000 bucks and pay 9,000 for it, which is what you're doing when you buy on credit card and don't pay it off. Okay, now if you, you're gonna tell me, well, I'm earning points and I paid off right away, all I'd say to you is good. You're probably not sinning, don't fall into temptation and don't fall behind on your payments. 
But if you tell me that, hey, I bought something that cost 5,000 bucks and I paid 9,000 for it, I'd be like, well, first of all, I'm not sure you should have bought the thing that cost 5,000 bucks, but let's say it was a good thing to buy. The fact that you wasted an extra four grand that could have gone to feed somebody around the world, that's where I think God might be grieved. That we did it in a way where it's like, why are we in a society that requires us to pay double the cost of our house just to own it? The fourth step that we've covered is learning how to budget. What is budgeting for? Budgeting is to be used to find ways to squeeze out even more dollars out of your existing ability to save. If step one, you were looking to cut something out of your budget using the latte factor, just finding some money. Step two was to invest it right away. Step three was to get out of debt so you can take your debt payments and start to save those, the amounts that we're going to pay debt. Then step four is just to look at your overall spending everywhere, not just that three to $5 a day, but everywhere and figuring out where you could save, okay? You put all those things together. If you can't find money after going through the latte factor, after looking at decreasing your debt and using debt payments as savings. If you can't do it through investing today, whatever small amounts you have, even if you stop later, and if you can't find after your budgeting, there's something wrong. Because I know that in all of our budgets, there's room to find five bucks. It may not be five bucks a day at first, it may be five bucks a month, but if you start maybe the next month, it'll be 10 bucks and it will grow. There's something wrong if we can't find that amount of money. Look around us. We live in such excess and such wealth, it, it, it can't be that we can't find that money, all right? Next slide. I told you that the easiest way to budget is just to start where you are, make a list, figure out what you're doing, and go from there. And you'll find more ways to contribute, okay? Next slide. Now, here's the questions you guys have left me with, a couple of them. One of them is, where the heck am I gonna find this investment that pays 10 or 12%? All right. The reason I pick 10 or 12% is because insurance companies use 10 or 12% when they're predicting how much to pay you and how much your life is worth. Retirement people use it when they're trying to predict what your 401k is going to be worth. And the reason is the U.S. economy, on average, if you invest in the stock market for longer than 20 years in a 20 to 30 year range, will average between 10 and 12%. So if you're really doing what I'm saying, which is setting aside money into some account that's just going to grow, that you're not going to touch, and it's in a mutual fund somewhere, so make sure it's in the stock market, not like the savings account. Savings account's not gonna work. I mean, it will accumulate interest, but not enough. Put it in the stock market into a mutual fund that's professionally run by somebody and just let it go. And in 30 years, 40 years, all the ups and downs of the market, it'll go like this, up and down and up and down, but it will be an upward trend if you just look at it over that long period of time of about 10 to 12%. The better news even, well not better news for you, but it will help the money, is I always use the number 65. It's very likely by the time you guys retire, it'll be 75 that you'll be retiring at. So you'll make even more money in this account, okay? Of course, you'll have to work some longer years, but maybe you'll have paid off your house in 23 years and you'll be already moving around the world in a mobile home, okay? Or the, or the, uh, or the big bus thing, whatever that thing is they move around. So that's question number one that you guys asked. Where do I get the 10 or 12%? All right. And if you have questions about what is a mutual fund, how do I find one? How do I invest in it? Talk to me about it. We can talk afterwards about it. I don't want you guys to miss out on this because it really is important that you start now. Okay. Now the second question I get, putting this all in context, putting it in context, what kinds of investments can I do other than mutual funds? Can you go to the next slide? Here's the wisdom that we have from Proverbs that we use to guide our investments. Believe it or not, the Bible actually speaks as to what kind of investments we should be looking for. The first ones, plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Being diligent and looking through your investments is important. 
okay? Looking at them very carefully. Warnings in Ecclesiastes, again from Solomon, about being, watching very carefully, okay? About getting involved in schemes that rob us of money. That's the verse from Ecclesiastes 5, 13 through 16. Wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when its owner has a son, there's nothing left for him. We talked about the number of schemes that are promulgated on Christians who are very quick looking for get-rich-quick schemes because we seem to be a gullible crowd. There's a lot of problems in the church with this, so be careful that you're just doing something that's a normal investment. If anybody gives you something that looks too good to be true, it is. That's the general rule. And finally, Ecclesiastes 11.2 tells us to diversify our investments. That's why I like mutual funds. They're diversified. It says, give or divide portions to seven or even eight. For you do not know what disaster may come to the land. Solomon is expressly saying, split up your wealth into different areas. Diversify. Because you don't know if one of your investments is going to be wiped out. So spread them out. Now, a mutual fund kind of does that for you. That's one of the reasons I like it. Plus, it's run by people who know what they're doing, and you don't have to think about it. You can go on to do what God wants you to do while your money's growing. The other question I get from people is, is that all I'm supposed to do? Like it would be okay for God if I just kept adding my tithe into a fund that I don't pay out for 40 years? No, that's not what I'm saying. You have to decide how to use this money. If it were me, for example, I would put $100 into this fund every month, but you guys know I can afford more than $100 a month. So I could probably put $100 a month going today to sponsor a child or maybe to some missions organization or to sponsor missionaries the way that we do. So there's a component of tomorrow, which I like this account because it's building. But if that's all you're doing, it better be a big number. And I don't know that God wants you to put your tithe into a long-term account and say, I'm going to tithe this for 40 years, Lord, and then I'm going to have a billion dollars for you. He might be very excited with that. I'm not saying it would be unbiblical, but I think that it would be wise, just my own personal take on this. If you, let's say you have a job where you can donate 500 bucks a month in charity giving. Put 100 bucks in this account, let it grow. Put 100 bucks to sponsor a missionary somewhere. Give $300 to your church, there you go. Now you got 500 bucks going in three different directions and God can bless it the way he wants. He can have the church grow, he can have the missionaries do their stuff and he can have your funds growing over time. The other question was, can you do this personally? Sure, in fact, you'd be smart to do it personally. You could do this for yourself. It doesn't have to be a kingdom account. In fact, I don't even know that there should be a difference. I mean, if you pay off your house, are you paying off your house for you or for the kingdom? It doesn't matter. You're free now from debt to do whatever you want to do. If you pay off your credit cards faster, are you doing that for God or for you? I don't know that it matters. You're out of debt. You don't have any credit card debt. If you retire with $500 million, are you doing that for you or for God? I hope the answer is for God or you might drop dead, all right? It doesn't matter at that point because you've got so much money. I hope that your heart will be that you're going to do God's will for the rest of the days he's given you. And if you don't think you're going to have days after retirement, by the way, they tell you that you're going to live like 30 years after retirement for anybody who's your age right now. You guys are going to live to be like 85 to 95, almost guaranteed. If you're in good health at 65, there's like a one in two chance that every woman in here will live to, I think they said 96, all right? If you're in good health at 65 and you're a man, there's a one in two chance you'll live to like 92. I mean, we're not gonna retire and drop dead like most of the previous generations, you know? Maybe you guys aren't gonna even retire till you're 80. But the point is that God can still do a lot with us at the other end of our life. But I don't want you to just wait. I want you to do something today. You should be tithing, giving to church today, 
Whatever that amount that God puts in your heart, you should be giving to missionaries, you should be sponsoring children, you should be giving to invisible children, you can do whatever you want. And you can even have a cookies and car wash fundraiser if you want, I don't care. I'm just saying there should be just one additional component in the whole mix. Next slide. This is the four step approach that you've got to learn to take money off the top before you even touch it and save it. Start today so it builds the maximum value possible. Get out of debt so all the money that you're in debt will go also to the savings accounts of some kind or to tithing or to anything other than interest payments. And then budget every day diligently so you could find more ways to even give an extra bit. Just think every couple of dollars you throw in is just going to multiply so much bigger if you can find a few more dollars. Those are really important lessons. We talk about making money. That's what the parable of the talents really is about, investing and producing a return. And here is an easy way to do it. Now, is it easy? As Angela found out, maybe it's harder in practice, and I think it is. If you were actually to forego something like a meal because you said, I'm going to save that money up for the kingdom, uh, I, I, I could think of few things that he would probably be happier with. And I think that money would grow. The point is, are we disciplined enough to do it? When I was talking to the APU crowd, I could see on their faces right away the, where am I going to get the $91 a day thing? And I remember stopping and saying, listen, I know what you're thinking. We're going to have a slide up here in a second that's going to have all the excuses you're probably thinking right now. But let me ask you this. If I find the $91 for you, will you commit to doing it? Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that we have to kind of put forward right now. Most of them are kind of like, well, show me first and we'll see how it goes. And when, by the time they were done and they could see that through these steps, you could easily find 91 bucks, even for a college student who's in college at APU and dead up to the hilt, that you could find this. But the question is, are you going to actually do something about it? I mean, some of you are young enough that if you started now, you could stop in 10 years and you would just be just phenomenally wealthy in the kingdom goods that you could give away at the end of your life because you're starting early enough. The question is, are you going to do it? Yes. I won't know. I don't think I'll know you in 30 or 40 years. I hope I do. But only you guys will know. Okay. This is an important topic for us that I don't think, like I said, we're going to touch on again. Because we're going to move on to materialism and poverty in a, in a, in a little while. Okay. Our materialism is probably the cause of a lot of poverty. And we need to deal with that as well. If you really are trying to figure out your own personal financial situation... I'm not an expert, but I will help you get through yours. I mean, I am a finance, I had finance degree, so I should know something about it, but I'm not a financial planner. But I mean, I can at least say, hey, do you want to know what a mutual fund is? If you don't know what it is, let me explain it to you better. Do you want to understand what you could do with the kingdom with some of the resources you have? Or what are you doing? Are you working? Like, what's your job? What's your goal? What are you working towards? You know, if you want to talk about those things and how they make an impact for the kingdom, I would love to talk to you about them you know, individually in any way you want to, because that's an important thing. You guys have a, an advantage I don't have. Some of you are close to 20, 22, 24. I mean, you guys could invest for the next 10 years and stop and, and, and do great things. But again, please, I focus so much on future value. I don't want you to miss the point that I really think we should be doing something today as well. You know, and so that's, I'm putting a little, make sure there's like a footnote there. Like this is not the only investment in the kingdom you should be making. Okay, but no Christian makes this investment, it seems like, well enough for the kingdom. In this, like it was in stocks? 
the stock market is, is riskier, it's more volatile. You know, the, the riskier the investment, the higher the interest rate. But because historically we know that if you just let it go, as much as it jumps one year and crashes the next year and goes all over the place, that you can see this upward trend that just keeps moving. That's the goes back to the wisdom that we were talking about, about diversifying. Stocks are volatile. Financial investment theory says that the minimum number of stocks that you should have in a portfolio to consider it diversified is about 20. So what they tell you is, as you start to build a portfolio, if you're going to be an individual stock picker, you should buy 20 stocks. They'll all like do this, but they'll balance each other out. But see, once you buy 20 stocks, you might as well just go put it in a mutual fund. I mean, the advantage of a mutual fund is they've bought, let's say, 100 stocks in their mutual fund. They have professional money managers that are watching it. They're doing all the investment decisions. They're deciding when to buy the stock, when to sell it. They've got a whole bunch of stocks they're watching all the time. And yeah, they charge a fee to do that, but they don't charge you commissions to buy and sell. Like when you buy stock, you're, every time you buy and sell, you're getting charged a commission. Whereas mutual funds, you can buy and sell into mutual funds for no money. Look for something called a no-load mutual fund. You can move money in, you can move money out with no commissions. They charge you administrative fee for you know, managing all this fund. So let's say the profits of the, you know, the mutual fund that year were 100 million, they'll take like 5 million out or whatever their percentage is and then distribute the rest among all the people. But at least they're not charging you a brokerage commission every time you're buying and selling. And you really shouldn't be selling anyway. I mean, what you really should be doing is like buying and it just automatically every month is going in there. You know, and we can talk about theories, like there's theories called dollar cost averaging that'll show you that even in a declining market, you should be buying as much as possible. You know, it's almost like if the home prices went down, everybody would start buying as many homes as they could because they know they're going to go back up. Same thing's true with stocks. Like the market's crashing, just keep throwing money in because you're buying more and more stocks. You know, and when the market's going up, you know, you'll be riding the wave back up. So you shouldn't worry about timing the market. I mean, we have stuff to do every day. If you want to sit in front of the computer all day and watch like little stock tickers, you can do that. But it's probably not even worth your time. If you just threw the money in there and let time you know, 40 years, it'll do more value than if you were trying to play the market. And I also think it's probably more biblical to just say, hey, I'm not obsessed with what's going on in the market. I'm like investing steadily, you know, as, as Proverbs said, like in the diligent, not hasty. Hasty is for the foolish. Just be a diligent investor. Just over time, just keep doing it. It'll build over time. And that way you can use it for whatever you want. You can pay off your house. Now you're free to do whatever you want. You can give chunk to some foundation. You can give to the homeless, do whatever you want. I mean, there's so many investment vehicles out there. But the reason I stay away from just pure savings and CDs, which are very safe investments, or treasury bills, or all those kind of things, is their interest rate doesn't approach 10% or 12%. They're at like five. And the difference between five and 12 is a couple million dollars by the time you get to 65. The liquidity thing is important. Like when someone says to me, hey, I have a few, like I have $10,000 sitting aside. Should I put it in the mutual fund and get this kind of interest? It's like, uh, you're not going to get this kind of interest. Like you might have negative 23% next year. You might lose a quarter of your money. Like don't put it in the stock market unless you can commit to writing it out. Because I mean, it might go up 23% next year, it might go up. And you might be so psyched and pull it out and go, man, that was the best thing I ever did. But now you're just being speculative. So if you need the funds short term, yeah, put them in a CD, like because at least earn higher interest than in a savings account. But don't like don't think, hey, anytime I put money in the stock market, it's going to make twelve percent. No, no, 
That's if you leave it on average of 30 years. So you might put it in the stock market for five years and it might, it might be going down all five years. And you're thinking, what was that idiot talking about? Putting it in a mutual fund, I'm like losing every year. It's like, don't look at it. And five years is still short term compared to 40 years. You haven't even gotten past the first quarter. You know, you're still an eighth of the way there. But over time, that, that fund will go up. And that's why if you need it in the next five to 10 years even, I tell people, uh, 10 years is a long time. You could probably ride a few cycles in the market. But if you need it in the next three to four years, I'm not so sure that having it in a mutual fund is the right answer always. It's hard having such a technical subject, I know. But I think in the long run, I need you guys to understand this because you guys are the ones who are going to make a commitment to, to doing it. All right, let's pray and we'll close in one last song. Jesus, you cared a great deal about money. And you made it a focal point of a lot of your teachings. And I'm not so sure that we've done it justice in making it such a technical subject, Lord, but I feel again there's a gap between what you taught us and what the church is actually telling us to do with money. Or a place where they just don't dare to go because it's such a sensitive subject. So, of course, that's the reason that we went rushing in because it is a sensitive subject. It's one that's important to us. I pray, Lord, for implementation. You know, all these great ideas are just ideas, Lord, unless we actually do something about them. George said this morning in this service, he said, an idea is a funny thing. It doesn't really do anything until you do. And that's kind of what all this is. It's just ideas that could be so explosive for your kingdom. But Lord, it won't do anything unless we actually make the move to learn how to get out of debt and learn how to budget and learn how to save and learn how to invest and actually do it instead of just thinking what a cool idea it would be to do it. I thank you, Lord, for the people who've already done it and who are going to commit to doing it. But really, you got to move us off the block. It's so easy to just sit back and be passive. And every day that goes by is one more day we're missing out on compound interest that could really make an impact in your kingdom. And Lord, if I've overemphasized the future value of money as opposed to what we could be giving in the kingdom today, forgive me for that. I'm just so excited by the potential of what we might do in the kingdom, but we really need to be focused on what we do today as well and not leave everything for tomorrow. Lord, some of us may not have a tomorrow, but Lord, in case we do, I pray that we be good stewards of the funds that you've given us, the investment, so when you come back, we could all hear just simply, good and faithful servant. Those are the words we want to hear, good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you and you invested it. And you made much for the kingdom. Now enter into the joy of your master. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.